Uh, I'm Constitutional Attorney Katherine Henry. Good afternoon and welcome to this week's Constitution Segment Recap. Of course, on Tuesday, we did our full episode discussing this week's important topic of due process. What are the main types of due process and how... Um, you know, what the U.S. and Michigan Supreme Courts have said about those vital rights to due process, as well as giving you some real world examples of what those rights entail so that uh, you can see how that might be happening in your own situations. So without any further ado, we're going to go ahead and get started here. Um, I shared with you in the description of this video the link to this PDF. So don't worry about trying to see every piece of it, depending on the size of your screen, you may not be able to see any of it. Um, and of course on my end, it looks just super ginormous. So um, I will try to get it a little bit bigger though. So this is uh, a majority of it is stuff that I did mention in, in full on uh, Tuesday. There are some portions of it that I mentioned at the end of the episode that I was not able to go through because it we just we ran out of time. Uh, so I've included the portions here that I was not able to share with you on Tuesday. Um, again, those really basically refer to um, more application of how substantive and procedural due process applies in my Allegan County case to give you a better better understanding, better examples, you know, for you to be able to flesh out what those rights really look like uh, when the rubber hits the road. Um, but first, let's go ahead and start with um, those initial points to consider. Uh, we talked about, again, how we receive our blessings of liberty from God, not the government, that government was created by the people, acts on behalf of the people, and derives its authority from the people, that um, the uh, safeguards of liberty should receive the watchful care of those entrusted with the guardianship of the Constitution and laws. In no other way can we transmit to posterity unimpaired the blessings of liberty. That is from an 1866 U.S. Supreme Court case saying that it's the court, it's judges that are, it's their job to safeguard liberty and be the uh, guardians of the constitution and of the laws. And that's the only way that we can uh, share and pass on our blessings of liberty to future generations. Uh, also shared with you a court case that mentioned that it is the duty of the courts to see that the constitutional rights of a defendant in a criminal case shall not be violated. And um, also that the court has authority, and again, in appropriate cases, the duty to enter permanent injunctive relief against a constitutional violation. So if the prosecutors are doing something they shouldn't do that violates uh, a person's due process rights, or um, you know, the officers have done something that violates somebody's due process rights, there is likely um, a situation where a court who's hearing a challenge to that case um, would have not only the opportunity, but they would potentially have the duty to force the, the, um, the prosecutor or, or the uh, officer in the case, whoever it may be, to stop. And, and that may look like the case being dismissed. So um, 
Oh, let's see. Where was I? Um, so also just a tidbit to know, because I know some of you may know of uh, people that have been fighting in this freedom fight since day one. Adam Heikola uh, is a friend of mine who I met uh, as I met him in person the first day on April 30th, 2020, when we were part of the American Patriot Council setting up that first in-person uh, protest or rally on the steps of the Capitol in Lansing to um, make sure the state legislature did not uh, renew the governor's ridiculous and illegal and unconstitutional executive orders. Anyway, he had a case where um, he was charged with um, uh, some crimes. And my understanding is that he recently had a trial and that the trial did not conclude in the way that it should have. Uh, so again, my understanding is that he's thinking of appealing and that happens in way too many cases. I have some other friends dealing with similar types of cases, all that have happened since, you know, 2020, 2021. Um, and so anyway, uh, I wanted to point out to you that appellate jurisdiction, the, the, the ability to take your court case to the next level exists because the framers of the constitution knew that judges and other government officers could not always be trusted to safeguard the rights of the people. And that's very unfortunate, but that is what it is. Um, again, all of these um, cases and more I wanted to share with you so you can use them in your own situations. And um, you just have to follow the footnotes down to the bottom of the document uh, right here where we have... Um, it, it's kind of cut off in my screen, but you can see the footnote numbers over here. So that shows you what piece I was um, sharing. Sometimes in my briefs and whatnot, it was a short enough site that I just typed it right in the body, right next to the statement. So that's why there's a little difference there and how it appears to you. Um, but these are actually points. 95% uh, of what you're seeing today is actually contained uh, in a brief that made it to the Michigan Court of Appeals. Uh, so definitely this is stuff that you can use to fight your own fight for freedom. Um, so then moving on, we talked about the due process clause, that it has a dual function, that there's two pieces to it. Um, those two pieces, uh, well, first let's back up and say, where is the due process clause? Well, in the U.S. Constitution, it's in there twice, the Fifth and the Fourteenth Amendments. And uh, those say, no person shall be deprived of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, nor shall any state deprive any person life, liberty, or property without due process of law. Of course, the Michigan State Constitution, no, Article 1, Section 17, no person shall be deprived of life, liberty, or property without due process of law. And I've also included, for those of us uh, who are following along in this um, Constitution segment recap from Florida, I've included where the Florida State Constitution says that as well. If you are outside of Michigan or Florida um, in another state, then uh, chances are, I'm 99.9% I'm .9 certain, your own state constitution has the same words about due process as well. Um, so substantive due process, right? So again, the, the due process clause in each of those scenarios has two functions. We're talking about procedural and we're talking about substantive. So I guess kind of starting with the substantive. Substantive due process for, forbids the government to uh, do anything to infringe upon your fundamental liberty interests where um, for, for any reason, like 
you can't, it's not about how they're doing it. It's that you just can't. So for example, uh, in my Allegan County case, the substantive due process challenge, one of them anyway, is that you cannot be charged with trespassing on publicly owned, publicly accessible uh, property. You can't. There's no criminal trespassing for that. So it doesn't matter how they prosecute the case or how they arrested me or how any of that transpired. There's no substantive reason that the court should exercise jurisdiction. So the whole case should be dismissed. Now, contrast that with procedural due process. Procedural is what the word means. It's the process part, right? So that's saying that um, without speaking to the merits of the case, either the, the prosecuting attorney or the um, law enforcement officers or um, you know, the court itself, that someone along the way has messed up and violated your rights on the procedure in the courtroom or in how to file a case. So for example, the um, trial court um, has denied me reasonable ADA accommodations. So that is a procedure that um, there's, there is a procedure in law to give me or provide for me uh, ADA accommodations for my hearing disability. And by the court uh, illegally denying those, that, that's a denial of my procedural due process rights. Or when the court denied me having an attorney in the courtroom with me in my February 4th, 2021 motion hearing, that is a right that you have in all criminal proceedings to be represented by counsel, should you so choose, or to at least have the assistance of counsel. Um, and so by denying that right, well, it's actually denying my Sixth Amendment right, but it's also a procedure of how the case is, is um, processing that the court is denying my procedural due process rights, the right to have an open hearing, to have the public present, um, to be able to read the faces of participants for other reasons, like, you know, to be able to um, better understand the reactions of the court or uh, of the prosecutor on certain points. Those are things that are procedural in nature. So again, procedural due process separate from substantive due process where it's the underlying substance or subject. Uh, there's something wrong with the court exercising jurisdiction in the first place, that's substantive. All the things they've done to me in this case, the Allegan County case, um, since those are, um, or even the way I was arrested. Let's pretend for a minute that I was not at the Allegan County um, polling precinct, but in fact, I was at the township clerk's house, her actual house, her own residence. And she told me to leave and I did not leave. Uh, then I wouldn't have a substantive due process argument because it's it would be illegal for me to be there. It, 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 that would actually fall under criminal trespassing statute. So I wouldn't have a substantive due process claim there, right? But if they continued to go about it the way that they did in this situation, um, where they're um, physically arresting me 
where they're violently arresting me, where they're threatening to tow my car and take my child and um, throw her in the CPS system, uh, where they, um, you know, they, again, my, my rights to an attorney, to a public hearing, to ADA accommodations, where all of those things are being denied to me, then even if I had gone to her house illegally, uh, and was trespassing at her personal property, um, her personally owned property, that would be a violation of the law, but they would still be violating my procedural due process rights by doing those things. Um, so um, the, the next few things I have for you here, sorry guys, I have to unzoom because it is way too hard to see all those words that big on my side. Um, so, uh, let me see, is there a way that I can, it's not making it any different. Okay. I thought it would make it better if I could, um, press this last setting to make it expand across the whole screen, but it doesn't. So sorry about that guys. But, um, again, these are just some pieces, just some, just few of the tiny pieces, uh, to give you some, um, tools to use in terms of understanding this, number one, and being able to fight back when these things are happening to you. So procedural uh, due process, of course, um, requires notice, requires an opportunity to be heard, requires an impartial decision maker. Um, and, you know, that the whole process, the whole case, the whole trial, all the hearings, that they're conducted in a fair manner. That's procedural due process. So number one as a sub point, it's the court's job to protect the public confidence in the judicial system. I'd love to be able to see all of you watching this now and who will watch it later if, as though we were in person at a rally. So I can ask you by a showing of hands, raise your hand if you have confidence in our judicial system here in the United States. I'm, I'm willing to bet there's probably not going to be anybody who's going to raise their hand and say, oh, I'm totally confident in how the justice system works here. Um, by all means, comment on our Facebook, YouTube, Twitter that are going right now. Um, at least I can see those comments. I can't see comments that come from Rumble and some of the others. But comment right now if you're watching and you think uh, whether whether you think that you have confidence in the judicial system or not. Um, so... Um, Another point that, that came out from courts, this is from the court's own words, not mine. Nothing can destroy a government more quickly than its failure to observe its own laws, or worse, to disregard the charter of its own existence, which would be potentially a charter if you're talking about the local or township level or county. But if you're talking about the state or U.S. government, that, of course, is the U.S. or state constitution. So the court is saying that it's it's imperative. It's like the ultimate of important for there to be judicial integrity in our system and that the whole system of government, government as we know it, will crumble, will be destroyed uh, with our representative, um, with our Repub Republican form of government, our constitutional republic, that whole form of government collapses and it is destroyed if the government itself, if those government officials violate the law or even worse, they violate the constitution.
that is an element of procedural due process that the courts have mentioned. Um, so again, for those of you who are encountering these types of cases for the first time, either just because you want to support me in my case or support others like Adam Heikola as he battles his, or um, those of you who wanted to stand there uh, and supporting Merlena and her, uh, Merlena's Bistro um, from Holland and, and all the stuff that was unfolding a year ago, um, uh, you know, that we were seeing, uh, and, but you just didn't maybe understand the, the procedures or what was happening behind there. Uh, something, another key point that any of those situations are true for you. Remember this, the constitutional safeguards relating to the integrity of the criminal process exist at every single stage of the criminal proceeding, starting with the arrest. Before a case is even technically filed in court, you have rights. You have constitutional safeguards that are already in place before the court even knows your case exists. So, um, Let's see, um, just some other um, things I put in there um, about your right to receive notice, to confront those against you, uh, to have co a compulsory way of, of process to getting witnesses subpoenaed on your own behalf, um, that those are fundamental rights, basic rights that are so basic, they're basic to our whole adversary system of criminal justice. Um, that, uh, of course, our Constitution guarantees you a meaningful opportunity to present a complete defense in any case that you are charged. So just stuff that you should remember. Um, okay, then the substantive due process issues in my Allegan County Election Day case. What I did here, this is the part that um, I've talked about all these issues before, both in the uh, full episode that we had on Tuesday, as well as various videos that have happened since then. And of course, you have access to my briefs that are on my website. And I promise you, it'll be even easier to navigate that part of my website as soon as the new version is fully done and published. But anyway, um, so this is not, it should be not uh, new information to you, but it's this is basically a paragraph format of the um, the summary of the substantive due process, right? The issues in my Allegan County case. So there's what five, six paragraphs, six paragraphs um, that basically summarize all the sorry BS that has happened. was happening as the case essentially started. Like that's just bringing the charges in the first place, there were already all these issues, okay? That's the substantive due process um, summarized uh, basically in a nutshell. Um, and then these are just some key points uh, that conclude both substantive and procedural due process, specifically um, how they're applying in my case, but some specific points that I want you to remember if you have your own case that you're challenging. So for example, if the court has no subject matter jurisdiction, so let's say for example, they, um, in a real world example, let's say they arrest you for trespassing on property open to the general public, just like me. It could be um, a place like Walmart. It could be uh, a concert venue. It's open to the general public. 
You cannot be held criminally responsible for merely trespassing because that literally just means that your presence, your physical presence is a crime. That's not a thing when it's open to the general public. When property is open for literally anyone to come on there, there's equal protection of the laws. There's no way that somebody, government official or not, can exclude just you. So anyway, it could be an example like that. But let's say, let's pick an absurd something, an ex absurd example that can really help um, identify this. So let's say, for subject matter jurisdiction, let's say you were charged with um, uh, flying on a pink elephant, okay? What the heck am I talking about? Exactly, right? It doesn't exist. There's not even a crime for that. Like, what on earth? But you receive documents, you're served with and arrested uh, for charges for flying on a pink elephant. You could be like, okay, that police department is smoking something good and they aren't sharing with the rest of us, uh, but I need to do something about this. That would be a subject matter jurisdiction. The court has absolutely no jurisdiction over that subject matter because it's fictitious. It doesn't exist. It's not a thing, as I like to say. So that would be a challenge to subject matter jurisdiction. Now, if you have a situation where you are charged with um, a, you know, a crime that doesn't exist, um, at least not in your context, such as trespassing on property that's open to the general public, you can challenge that. You can raise it on appeal. You can raise it in the trial court or in a higher court, literally at any time, definitely before the trial happens. Um, but you can raise it afterwards as well. So you can go all the way through your trial, not even realizing, maybe you had a crappy attorney, maybe you didn't have an attorney, but you, as soon as you're found guilty of this thing that literally doesn't exist, then you start thinking to yourself, you know what? That doesn't exist. The court doesn't have subject matter jurisdiction. You can go and file an appeal and challenge that subject matter jurisdiction, even after your trial has happened. Um, but certainly before. So um, anyway, just some other key points. Uh, follow that that I wanted to make sure you're aware about. And then if you go to paragraph or, or section seven of this document that I've shared with you, again, for those of you who joined later, um, the PDF that I'm showing on my screen now that many of you that are watching from a phone <laughs> cannot see because it's way too tiny. The link to this PDF is in the description of this video. So you'll be able to go and access that. You click on that little tiny URL and it'll take you right to this document. So you'll see it um, in real time. And um, at any rate, so I'm not sure why this has some random spacing, but the formatting is whatever. It's, it's fine. It's the internet. Um, <laughs> so number seven here is giving you the example from a different perspective. So basically, it's this is meant to be very much like an outline of my own Allegan County Election Day trespassing case uh, from that different perspective, from like a bullet point perspective. So talking about being able to file a motion to dismiss and going from there. Um, talking about... 
Um, the <clears throat> um, subject matter jurisdiction. I'm just realizing that because I copied this out of my brief, you guys might actually, if you wanted to click on some of these, I'm just seeing where I, when I hover, it shows the little hand. You might have access right to my actual brief. Um, it depends because I don't know if I copied and pasted it from the PDF version, which you would have access to, or the um, Google Doc version, which you wouldn't. But anyway, uh, just something I noticed there. Anyway, um, so in in this um, this portion, which is part seven, uh, this again it gives you information from my Allegan County case to give you examples. So a motion to dismiss you can do for substantive due process issues or procedural due process issues. That's why I kind of started us off with there. And in my case, uh, the trial judge said, no, I don't even have a right to file a motion to dismiss, which is baloney. Uh, yes, you do. So anyway, these are the main points that I highlighted in, in my appeal of that. Uh, then I go through the substantive due process rights of mine that were violated. And this is just the outline version again of the issues that I raised in that brief. So you can see um, why each of those is any one of those would have been a substantive due process argument to make on its own. But um, they're all listed because they all have been happening. So um then I take you in, in part C, I take you to the procedural due process. Again, to give you what I did here is it's laid out a little bit different because they honestly, they have violated my substantive and procedural due process rights from the very beginning and continued and still continue to this day. And the amount of violations that they're doing, the amount of court rules, state laws, constitutional provisions that they're violating is it's so vast. It's so numerous. There's so many different ways that they're violating my rights that even I am overwhelmed when I stop to try to think about what is the list of all the things that they've done. So at any rate, what I've done here is given you kind of like that outline of what's happened. And I put it in bold. If it was basically a distinct way of having how they violated my procedural due process right so you could see that as an example so for example an arrest being made without probable cause um arresting me by physically taking me into custody um sometimes you're arrested by you know they they exercise control over you so to speak and then they write you a citation and and you're on your way um that's considered being you know, under arrest, but by the way, they actually physically took me into custody and handcuffed me and threw me in the back of the vehicle, literally, and slammed the door and all that. That by itself is a procedural due process violation. Um, the excessive force they used, um, the fact that the officer altered the ticket after serving me is a procedural due process. It's the way he did it was wrong. Um, so again, uh, I would, the whole case started legally as a civil infraction and they didn't bother serving me with, um, I've still the court, excuse me, the, the prosecutor's office and the, um, sheriff's department, no one from either of those offices has ever served me with a criminal complaint. 
The only thing that they served me with was a civil infraction ticket, but because he altered it significantly between serving it on me and filing it with the court. Um, so that's a procedural due process violation. Um, the fact that the charges were explained um, or listed, I should say, on that ticket um, very incompletely, uh, there's really no description at all. That um, is also a procedural due process. I had an amended complaint copied to me or emailed to me from the court, not served on me, that added another charge disturbing the peace. And there's no substance to that violation either. It literally doesn't say what they think I did to disturb the peace. Um, I was denied having my hearing on my motion to dismiss initially. I've been not treated fairly by the court. I've had the assistance of counsel denied, uh, denials of ADA accommodations, denied the right to be present at trial, the right to have face-to-face -face confrontation of witnesses, to be physically present with the jury, uh, to have a public trial, um, to have the media there to redact my personal identifying information. The prosecutor's office keeps filing crap with my personal identifying information when under court rule, it's um, supposed to be, it's required to be redacted. So nobody could just find me based on the fact that these documents are public record and, and you know, have access to that information. Um, I've been denied receiving these documents um, by e-service, meaning uh, the prosecutor's office, when they were, um, you know, filing stuff in this case, uh, even though I was emailing and I was asking them and giving my consent to using e-service so they could email me documents that they were filing, they would file them with the court. And then maybe the next day or the day after, I mean, I have as much as three, four days in between the date on their, the day that they filed it and the day that it's postmarked on their envelope. So they wait three, four days before they even put it in the mail. And then by the time it gets to me, it's at least a week later. And meanwhile, I've had all that time robbed to be able to respond, to ask the court to do something different, to have that time to write my own brief or, or object in any way. Um, and some of the stuff was moving at the speed of light. So while they're denying me having um, a trial, until what it's going to be like 589 days um, after the event happened. Meanwhile, they've had parts of this case moving so quickly that they're trying to shortchange my opportunity to be heard on things. Um, so, um, all right, uh, let's see here. Um, I've been denied discovery. And it used to be a rule in Michigan, an unwritten rule, that you, um, when you're charged with a, a misdemeanor offense, that you don't have a right to discovery. But that court rule has changed, and there's been cases about it, and it's totally unconstitutional to say that you could be facing jail time. Or let me put it this way. You could have any part of your life, liberty, or property taken away from you and not have access to discovery. I mean, I don't think so. They don't get to have a surprise attack on you. That doesn't give you proper notice. It doesn't give you the opportunity to be heard. And it doesn't give you the opportunity to meaningfully participate in putting on a complete defense. So at any rate, in Michigan, 
um, it is the court rules changed so that you do in fact have the right to discovery. And I requested it under the court rules and the prosecutor's office fought me every step of the way. And I in fact did a motion to compel and we had two separate hearings dragged out and I ended up at least getting some of my uh, d discovery ordered to be turned over. And yet the prosecutor's office has not, not given me anything on the new charge at all, not one piece of paper. Um, that is a procedural due process issue. Even if, if uh, under the truth of it all, I had been guilty of what they were charging me, the fact that they're denying me these procedures along the way means that for some of them, the case should have been thrown out right then and there. You can't deny somebody assistance of counsel at any of these important hearings or the trial itself and then think that a conviction would stand. That's not okay. The Supreme Court, Michigan Supreme Court, U.S. Supreme Court, many states have clearly said that. I mean, no one has seriously ever contended that if you deny somebody their constitutionally protected right to assistance of counsel, that somehow the charges would still remain or the conviction would still remain. It's, it's garbage. Um, so what I included for you in Section 8 is the relief that I asked for. So, so for some of you, you've seen this kind of stuff happen. It's either happening to you personally or someone you know, or you just know because you've seen it kind of in the news. And you, you're starting, to, okay, now I'm understanding what some of the rights are and how they, you know, good examples of this. But then you're like, okay, so what do I do at that point? What is it that I'm going to ask the court to do to help the situation? It's not always just dismiss the case. And if you ask a court to dismiss your case, uh, depending on the situation, you need to be asking for the court to dismiss with prejudice, which is italicized here under 8A. With prejudice means they can't ever file it again. They can't. You're done. You're forever done. Now, if they file it, if there's a dismissal without prejudice, it means that the, the prosecuting attorney, or if it's a civil case, that the opposing side is allowed to go back and maybe make some corrections or whatever, and then file it again. So that's a huge difference. So, of course, I asked for a complete dismissal of all charges with prejudice. But then I also, even if you get that dismissal, you need to remember if it's a criminal case that you're being charged with, you need to remember to ask for your iChat records, at least in Michigan, to be uh, removed. You need to ask for any biometric or fingerprint or arrest record data to be removed from LEAN, Law Enforcement Information Network. Um, so those are things you need to keep an eye out for. And I have the statutes written right there that you can look up. Um, and then um, I was asking that if they don't dismiss it right away, that any and all hearings that are held, uh, the trial itself, whatever, I was asking that um, no one be allowed to wear a face covering because I have a hearing disability, number one, where it were, I, I read lips. I, I've never learned sign language. Um, I, that wouldn't help me at all. Uh, hearing assisting devices uh, don't help me. I, I have had a hearing aid at points in time uh, uh, years ago, over a decade ago, and I was unable to continue wearing it. There were physical um, concerns I had with it, and it didn't it didn't actually help as well as it could have, and then it caused physical pain <clears throat> as well. So that's just for me, but just explaining to you why. Um, 
and I, I put on there, it's a reasonable accommodation for lip reading, but also I have the right to physically see the faces of the jurors as they're sitting there in trial, just as you would, because it, think about it. If you are, whether you have an attorney representing you or you are representing yourself, whether it's a civil case or a criminal case, you have the right to not only have the jury physically present in the room, but for you to be able to see their faces. So you can look if it's a jury of six and plus your alternate or a jury of 12 and your alternate or whatever, you have the right to, as you're presenting your evidence, as you're giving testimony, as you are doing your opening statement or your closing argument, you need to be uh, watching how the jury is responding to each of those things and how they're responding to what the prosecutor has done. Because what you might think is a strong element of your case, uh, maybe the jury doesn't seem to agree. Maybe they just sit there stoic and you're like, wow, okay, I thought that was going to help them understand. But maybe you mentioned something that you thought wasn't as important and you look over and you see the jurors like feverishly taking notes and their eyes are all wide with bewilderment and they might, you know, go, <gasps> you know, quietly, but have that shocked look on their face. Um, that that would be important to pick up on and be able to see their faces and go, oh, wow. Now, maybe somebody's yawning and that's why their eyes kind of got big and, the, you know, look like their jaw was dropped to go, oh, my gosh. Um, but if you're if you don't have a mask on, you'd be able to see that difference and tell and differentiate. And so it will help you strategize on what points to to stress on or not. Um, that's important. The law is the law and the facts are the facts. But when you have a jury that's involved, or even if you have a, a judge trial, a bench trial where the judge is the one hearing the case and deciding whether you are guilty or innocent, still, you want to be able to see the judge. You want to be able to see how the judge is reacting. Um, does the judge, uh, maybe the judge has a good poker face and you have no idea, but usually they're pretty human and they're going to give you some indication about well, gosh, this part's really boring the court, or this part is, um, wow, they're really engaging and they, they seem shocked that the, the prosecutor or the, the police department would do such a thing. Then you want to make sure to hammer those points home, right? Well, you can only do that if you can physically see the faces of the people in the courtroom. Um, and um, again, you know, I, I, I was asking to make sure for clarification that for all hearings, I'm not going to be denied assistance of counsel of my choice, that uh, the public will have physical access to be physically present in the courtroom, that all people, the jury, the witnesses, and any other participants in the case also would be able to be physically present in the courtroom and not be doing this Zoom garbage. Um, and that I would be allowed to share video footage of prior proceedings um, because um, the court has been denying me that as well. They, there is video evidence, but the court has put a gag order on me saying I can't share videos of any of the proceedings. And of course, I have to pay the $20 to get the videos of each proceeding. Um, I also um, wanted to be able to share the video of the, the trial yet to happen, you know, for hearings and cases and things that have yet to happen, as well as the videos that I already have. And uh, again, for my personal, personal identifying information to be redacted. And then I had a whole host of things. If you go to my procedural due process brief that's on the website, restorefreedomkh.com under resources and documents. If you go to that Allegan County button, it's blue right now, it's at the top. Um, if you go to that procedural due process 
and you go to that brief, page 45 to, to 46, that's where I was asking a whole bunch of specific clarifications, things that the court the Supreme Court of Michigan has already put in their administrative orders saying, even though there's this pandemic, blah, 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 and you have restrictions, still the court has to use, um, you know, they have to follow the law and abiding by ADA accommodations. They have to abide by uh, a criminal defendant's right to have a jury trial in person and things like that. So anyway, I was um, I bullet pointed some very specific things that you might want to think about and ask for in your own situations. Um, and also that they um, actually use uh, e-filing and e-service so that the prosecutor is not shortchanging me. Um, you know, a week or so on being able to respond to something because they're putting it in snail mail instead of just emailing it to me when I'm emailing them all of my documents. Um, and of course, that um, I get my um, motion to compel that all of those things that I was asking for in my motion to compel that I actually be able to receive those. So um, anyway, that is very long. Oh my goodness. 42 minutes of a constitution segment recap. This is just the recap, ladies and gentlemen, but it's important information. Number one, I want you to know that no matter what you're charged with, no matter if it's a criminal offense or a civil case you find yourself in, that you have rights. You have rights about the substance of the case, but you have rights relating to how the case proceeds. And those are essential and fundamental to our system of government, not just court. They're fundamental to our entire way of government. And you can't defend your own rights if you don't know what they are. And unfortunately, far too many attorneys don't even know what these rights are. Far too many attorneys, if I was debating them on any of these issues, they wouldn't know more than half of this stuff. And it's it's just a product of how law schools are done these days. And it's a product of how bar associations and, um, you know, requirements for continuing ed and everything else. It's a product of uh, focusing on uh, a lot of case law and not on the actual law. So let's work together to help inform members of our judicial system, including attorneys, on what rights we actually have and the duties that they have to protect those rights. Um, so let me look real quick. Wow. Okay. The comments kind of blew up a little bit. Um, let's see. There are a lot from the different, uh, uh, different social media platforms that we're streaming on right now. Um, Okay, so it looks like uh, Lori prefers uh, purple elephants instead of the pink elephants that came up in my example. Um, anyway, okay, so it looks like um, looks like if I understand right that Lori is going to follow up uh, or has some follow up scheduled with um, some comments or situations that people had um, or has already directed them possibly to resources. So it looks like all of the questions that pertain to this specific topic and, and whatnot have been answered. Again, this is just the Constitution segment recap. So if you think this is a lot and it's overwhelming, um, please make sure to watch the episode, the full episode that aired on Tuesday at noon. You can find it on our Rumble Facebook, YouTube, 
YouTube and various other platforms as well. And uh, pretty shortly here, we'll have, uh, uh, when the new website gets launched, we'll have a direct way for you to click right on our website to be able to go and, and sort through and see what topics we've done on different videos as well. So with that being said, please tune in tomorrow for our Freedom uh, Friday's Freedom Fighting Tools and Saturday to see that uh, great commercial from Rachel Atwood on our Restore Freedom Goodie of the Week. And of course, we'll round out the week as usual with our Sunday's uh, Biblical Insight on this great topic. Uh, and of course, we'd love to see you next Tuesday for our next full episode of Restore Freedom Weekly. Again, I'm constitutional attorney Catherine Henry. It has been a blessing to have you guys joining me today, commenting, hitting the like button, just watching and learning in general. I look forward to having you on this freedom fighting journey uh, going forward. And specifically, if you can come out and support me on June 15th at 9 a.m. in Allegan County at the Allegan County Courthouse to fight the good fight against all of what's happening, I would love to have your support there. Thank you so much, everyone. Have an absolutely wonderful day.